You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. As you know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing. But there is a better way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats, uh, and I plan to use this. My wife and I have a 17-month-old, haven't been a lot of nights out recently, but we plan to have one soon, and we will definitely be using SeatGeek to find concert tickets so that we can go out and enjoy a nice evening, and we know that SeatGeek will make the ticket-buying experience easier than ever because it saves us time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And best of all, Assembly Call listeners get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That is promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 60th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 374th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, January 19th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And this week's Banner Moment takes us back to Sunday's game against Northwestern, and it would be easy to choose any number of things that actually happened in that game as the Banner Moment for how great of a performance that was and how well Indiana played especially in the second half. But I'm going to go with something for the banner moment that happened off the court uh, in the stands, and that is Romeo Langford attending the game. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily expected. You know, news kind of broke uh, 15, 20 minutes before tip started that he was there. Uh, and obviously for Indiana, a program that has invested a lot in his recruitment, one of the best players to ever come out of the state of Indiana, to get a visit from Romeo to the game, you know, without his parents, with some friends to go up, take in the atmosphere, talk to the coaches, you know, hang out again. 
is a really good sign. Obviously, he hasn't had a chance yet to go to Vanderbilt or to go to Kansas, so this is kind of the one game that he's seen of his three finalists, and it gave me a little bit more optimism that Indiana really is a contender here. And obviously, there has been nothing said publicly that would suggest otherwise, but just some of maybe the momentum of the chatter has seemed to suggest that maybe Vanderbilt, you know, had a little bit of momentum, and and you just you kind of hadn't heard a lot about Indiana, but. A big part of that is just because Romeo and his father play things pretty close to the vest. And so in terms of, you know, actual actions that you can read and maybe read something into, I think this is the best sign yet that Indiana is a legitimate contender in this recruitment. And obviously few things would be as big of a banner moment as Romeo Langford someday committing to Indiana. So that is the banner moment for this week. All right. Let me now introduce my esteemed co-hosts for this week's show. To my left, we have one of the world's most respected bracketologists who recently released his second bracket projections of the season over at InsideTheHall.com, and he is the longtime president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the past week in IU basketball? Oh, well, you guys will probably be surprised to note that many people who read Inside the Hall were not a fan of how many SEC teams I had in the uh, projected field. So <laughs> Shocking. That was, a, that was a, that was a stunner. Are, are uh, the responses <laughs> a little bit different now that it's on inside the hall as opposed to assemblycall.com? <laughs> uh, I can't really imagine what it would be like if IU worked its way close enough to be in the discussion. Now, I certainly, from a fan's perspective, hope that happens. But for now, it was largely like there's no way the Big Ten only gets four teams in and there's no way the SEC gets that many teams in. But uh, that that's probably the least shocking thing that's happened all week. Um, you know, when, when you think about the schedule, you know, kind of I, I tried to just put the Wisconsin game you know, out of my mind. And so you kind of look at that three game segment that's happened since then. And a lot of good things have happened for IU. They've played really well. And if you break the rest of the season down into three game segments, there's some kind of interesting groupings there. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the, uh, about the schedule, but you know, the game against Michigan state really starts another interesting, uh, three game stretch. It could probably go any number of ways. Uh, you know, you've got the road game against Michigan state. You've got a home game against the Maryland team. Who's, who's got some injuries, uh, but it's still, you know, played fairly well played, you know, lost a tough game at Michigan, uh, earlier in the week and then you've got on the uh, on the road against Illinois who hasn't won a Big Ten game yet um, but but has come awfully close has a you know some overtime losses on there so you know if you're looking for potential road wins in the Big Ten it feels like one that maybe you could get but it's going to be a tough one and and so if you come out of that stretch at two and one um, which I think is is probably you know on the optimistic maybe not on the optimistic side maybe on the realistic side uh, of that you really continue that momentum and you're at the midway point and you're six and three and can feel pretty good about it and that next three three game stretch is a bear with uh, you know Purdue at Ohio State and then Michigan State in there but two of those three come at home uh, and then you kind of get to that point in the season at the end where you've got a couple three game stretches at the end that we've you know kind of looked at earlier in the season and said you know things kind of ease up. Some of those things may not look the same as they did now. And in terms of that home game against Ohio State, it certainly looks tougher than it did. But, you know, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings of some of the teams down there, uh, there's a stretch of five in a row that are outside the top 60. So, you know, you kind of look at it that way. And I think this next three game stretch, which occurs in a matter of six days, uh, is going to be really important about this team. And I'm, I'm interested to see how they build on that momentum with having, you know, a little bit of extra time, a lull in games a little bit uh, leading up to it. Now we've got a big three game stretch and, you know, between this show and the next time we record. And uh, I think we'll, you know, we continue to learn about this team. I think we'll know a lot more even after this next uh, the next week. It's it's certainly a big one for the guys. And I'm looking forward to talking about some of the uh, some of the games coming up and uh, seeing how they perform. Absolutely. All right. And to my right, we have a man who firmly believes that he would be the second best quarterback in the NFL's final four. If the Jaguars, Vikings or Eagles want to sign him right now, 
He's a columnist for the big lead, and he gleefully looks forward to the day when Dean Spanos and his sons come looking for him, ready to rumble in retaliation for all of his trash talk, like they're James Harden and Chris Paul looking for Austin Rivers. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant from the past week in Indiana basketball? Bring it on, Dean. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't on the show because of the NFL playoffs. I was working. Uh, I wasn't on the show after Indiana's thorough beatdown of Northwestern. I thought that was the best performance, uh, the 66-46 win. I thought it was the best performance of the Archie Miller era. Uh, I thought defensively that was just phenomenal. I know Northwestern is not, you know, the measuring stick you put yourself up against in the Big Ten, but that was an excellent performance that would have, I think, if they played like that, they would have beat anybody in the Big Ten, including Michigan State. Uh, that was just a thorough, thoroughly dominant performance on that end. And then offensively, they seem to really get some stuff going in the second half against that zone. Uh, I tweeted out that having Jawan Morgan was the key. And once he was back in, I mean, they just really ate up that zone and tore him apart. Uh, But I think the bigger picture here is you look at where Indiana is right now. They've won three straight. They've won five of six and they've won six of eight. I mean, don't look now, but they are playing better. Yeah, one of the losses in there was Fort Wayne. And then you had that dreadful second half against Wisconsin. But people forget they were leading at halftime of that game. That second half was a complete letdown. But at the same time, they played half of that game pretty well. It reminded me a bit of the first half, second half against Michigan. First half was awful. Second half, they actually played pretty well. They just dug themselves such a hole that it was impossible to come out of. Um So when you're looking at the way this team's playing right now and you look at how they performed at Northwestern, that win is exactly how Archie Miller wants his team to play. Tough, hard-nosed defense, make your free throws, be the, you know, don't turn the ball over, be solid offensively. You don't have to be spectacular if you're getting stops. You don't have to be perfect. And I think that that is so different than what we've seen in the past with this team where it seemed they always had to be perfect offensively to win games. And you kind of watch that game and you're like, oh, So that's what Archie's going for. I think that we all know that, but actually seeing it happen, you're kind of like, this all makes sense now, what they've been trying to do. Uh, Obviously, this week going at Michigan State is going to be very difficult. But what I would say about this game is Indiana has nothing to lose. Michigan State has not been playing well. There is a high potential for a very angry Michigan State team to step on that floor, which is never a good recipe. And Indiana has felt the brunt of that several times in the last few years. Um, they, they have nothing to lose, and what they need to focus on is not necessarily winning that game because if you focus on solely winning it, you're going to come out disappointed. I think Michigan State's going to win that game. But you have to focus on turning in a good performance that you can look at and say, look, we played a better team, but we played well. And we, you know, kind of like against Duke, they knew they were probably going to lose that game, uh, you know, when all was said and done. But they turned in a performance you can build off of and you can build momentum off of. That's what they need to do at Michigan State. They need to turn in a performance they can build off of. Whatever that is, I don't know, you know, if it's a score thing, if it's just playing good defensively, something. They need something to continue the momentum and build off of, regardless of the final score. All right, so here's what we're going to discuss this week. We will touch upon the schedule gauntlet coming up uh, a little bit more here. We will also talk about the keys to pulling off the upset in East Lansing, even though Ryan just told you that it's uh, that it's not going to happen. We'll tell you what it would take for it to happen uh, or, you know, for Indiana to make that a competitive game. We also will talk about the transfer rule if we have time, and then we got a bunch of questions from you all uh, that we are excited to answer, including an interesting one about attendance 
and then a demand that we get down to brass tacks and predict where Romeo will end up. So we'll see if we, uh, if we get to that one. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Before we move forward, a quick reminder that the next time you are looking for tickets to a sporting event or a concert, remember our friends at SeatGeek. You can download their app, which is great, which I have on my phone. It's really convenient and easy to use. Or if you just want an easy-to-remember URL that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listings on SeatGeek's website, this is the URL, iutickets.shop. So if you want tickets to any of Indiana's upcoming home games, obviously the Purdue game, uh, home game is coming up uh, against the top five Boilermakers. You know, if you want to go to that game or any of the other games remaining on Indiana's schedule, go to iutickets.shop. You will find it there. That is where you can find out the latest deals uh, on IU tickets, and you can do it at that URL, or you can use the SeatGeek app, whichever one is more convenient for you. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget the promo code ASSEMBLY. Use it when you make your first purchase, and you will get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. You are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips talking IU basketball. So, Andy, you mentioned the schedule gauntlet that is coming up, and Archie talked about that in his media availability today, uh, saying that the gauntlet we will have to go through that no team in our league will have to endure over the next three weeks. Basically, it's seven games in 17 days. I calculated it out. Over the next 23 days, including today, we will have 12 live broadcasts. That might I'm pretty sure that's a record since we started the show. So Yeah, more than likely it is. It's, it's going to be It's going to be hectic. Um, you know, Ryan, as you look at this, what do you think is the key for Indiana to keep its head above water during this gauntlet? I mean, obviously, you know, and three of the games are against, you know, two against Michigan State, one against Purdue, all games where you could play really well in and still lose all three of them. So what does Indiana need to do to keep the momentum going despite the challenge of what they have coming up? I thought you were going to ask, what's the key for us to actually make it through these? And I was going to say hydration, Jared, hydration and always. Yes. And, and sleep. sleep. Yeah. Uh, you know, eating three squares a day, all that. Um, I, you know, I think that it has to be the defense. I think that they, they're going to be outmanned, outsized in a lot of those games um, pretty clearly. Uh, I think it's just going to be the defense. They have to continue to buy into that aggressive man-to-man defense where they where everyone helps each other out. And, and Ryan Carraza at Inside the Hall did a great job of breaking that down in his, in his film session this week. Not only how they broke down Northwestern's zone, but how they were able to help and recover on defense and the commitment to help and recover on defense. And, you know, just make them, make their opponents, um, you know, take contested shots. It's that's, that's all it is. You make them take contested shots. If a team beats you by making a ton of contested shots, they were going to win anyway. But at least you're giving yourself a chance. And, and I think that the, the, the keys against Michigan State, against Purdue, against Ohio State, it's going to be, you know, aggressive defense and, and without fouling, too. You've got to stay on. You've got to have your best players on the floor and then rebounding and not giving second chance points to teams like Michigan State and Ohio State that seem to thrive off of that. Um, I, I think that you just have to, again, just play. And we've, we, I've been harping on it all year, but just play sound, fundamental basketball don't turn the ball over. Don't give them transition opportunities and easy baskets. Don't give them easy baskets, you know, when you're on defense. And then, you know, do things like make your free throws and make your, when you get opportunities at the rim, you've got to finish them. You can't, you know, miss layups. It's it's basically, it's so simplistic, but the way this team plays, if you just do the easy things, you make the game easy for yourself. And And, and I think that that is the, you know, you you can only control what you can control, and that's that's defense, free throws, making layups. You know, 
and 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 blocking your guy out and getting a rebound. I mean, th- those are the things you can control. You can't control a talent advantage. You really can't. You can't control a road crowd. I mean, those are the things you can control. If they do that, they're at least going to be competitive in these games. They don't have to win them. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we know what this is. We know this is a building year. Okay, how, how them- many do you think they need to win? Because if you look at the Ken Palm schedule, you know, an individual game-by-game basis, they're all predicted as losses. Now, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean, obviously, which, that's going mean, to happen. Which games well, games, I mean, all of them, all, all of them, because you got at Michigan, Michigan State, you have home against Maryland, where Indiana has a 43 percent chance of winning at Illinois. I mean, your two, quote unquote, easy games in this stretch are still road games at at Illinois and at Rutgers. That's what I mean. You could play well in all of these games and conceivably lose them. You know, so what so what is reasonable? Be- what would you expect? Uh, Andy and I were talking about this before we went on the air. I think you got to beat Maryland at home. I think that that's that's a very winnable game. Maryland. It just doesn't seem like they have it together this year. They're talented, but they don't have it together. I think you got to win on the road at Illinois, too. I know that's always that can sometimes be a tough place to play, but that team is not playing well. I think you got to win on the road there, and I think you got to beat Rutgers. Those those are must win games for me. Um, if you want to, you know, be in the mix uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, you got to you got to remember right now, Indiana is one of the few teams that is two games over five hundred in or better in the Big Ten. I mean, they're one of five teams, and and you know. Regardless of whether or not it's a tournament worthy season, you want to look at the standings and see yourself in that top four, top five, just as a point of pride. I mean, you can even if you don't make the tournament, you can look back on that and say, hey, we had a pretty decent year considering what we had to deal with, Um, you know, and and so that's what you have to aim for. I, I think I think beating Maryland, beating Illinois, beating Rutgers, those are things you have to do if you want to be in that area of the conference. Um, and then, you know, you roll the dice against Michigan State, against Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan State again. You know, you, you just go in there and you have nothing to lose. You pick up one win in those three games and, and the season's starting to look a lot better. Yeah. All right. Uh, here we go. Coming up on the assembly call, we're going to jump in and talk. IU Michigan State provide keys to victory based on the template provided by Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan, who have all played Michigan State tough recently. That's coming up. Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Don't forget that if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. And YouTube videos always have a little bit extra, uh, some extra content that doesn't make it into the podcast uh, if you're into that. So check us out on YouTube as well. All right, uh, guys, let's talk about this Michigan State game coming up. Um, And, you know, obviously it's a big challenge for Indiana. I believe Michigan State is favored by 16 I think everybody agrees that, you know, the fact that Michigan State is actually coming off three 
kind of poor performances, but then had five days to just be with Coach Izzo to try and get those fixed. It means we're probably catching them at the wrong time, not the right time. We'll obviously find that out on Friday. But, you know, let's obviously assume Indiana goes up there with a puncher's chance. What will it take for Indiana to make this a competitive game? And, you know, I had the opportunity to talk with Brendan Quinn on podcast on the brink this week who covers Michigan State and Michigan for The Athletic. And one of the things that he said was going to be a big key and that, you know, Ohio State did and that Michigan did was really play tough physical defense. And this obviously bodes well for Indiana because we've been doing this much more lately. But he said, especially against Miles Bridges, really make him work, keep him off the glass, out of the lane. He's been a guy who's been very happy to shoot threes this year. And obviously you want him to continue to do that because he's such a good athlete, so good around the basket when he kind of plays with a purpose going to the basket. So I think the first question that I will throw to you guys is who do you start on Miles Bridges? You know, my first instinct is you start Zach McRoberts on him. Uh, and maybe you even rotate Robert Johnson onto him for certain possessions. We've seen Robert Johnson guard uh, bigger players uh, if you know they're a really big offensive threat. And obviously he'll have his hands full with Michigan State's backcourt. So who knows if that'll happen. Um, but what do you think, Andy? What do you do with Miles Bridges? And then, obviously, in the background, we'll have to talk about Nick Ward and Jaron Jackson and Cassius Winston. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys to to try and handle on this Michigan State team. Yeah, it's kind of a domino effect when you start figuring out, well, if you put this guy on, on this person and then you, you kind of rotate through. I tend to agree. I mean, it, let's assume that IU goes with the same starting lineup that they've been going with. Feels like McRoberts. He's got, you know, a little bit taller than than Robert at, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um just really active. And quite honestly, he's a guy you can put out there and say, look, your only focus in this game is to harass him and make things tough for him. And hopefully, you know, bait him into shooting some three pointers. I mean, he's shooting almost six threes a game, which is astounding to me um, and hitting 34% of them. So again, think he's trying to show off for NBA scouts. I think oh so. yeah. Well, but, but yeah, between, you know, playing him more at the three and having him shoot a bunch of threes, uh, it certainly feels that way. So I, I would guess it's McRoberts. Um, but I do think, um, you, you know, a lot of times McRobert or Robert Johnson has been put on, you know, the better perimeter players, you know, bridges is, is interesting while I don't think he really is a perimeter player. He's kind of playing like one in some ways. So, um, you might see a little bit of that, but I think as you go into the stretch, you know, you talked about this a little bit before the break. I mean, I, you can't afford to not have Juwan Morgan and Robert Johnson on the floor against these, against these teams. And, you know, you saw how important Morgan was, uh, against Northwestern. I think Johnson is in a similar category, and, and so do you just do what you what you need to do to kind of keep those guys out of a position to get themselves in foul trouble? OK, so let's talk then about Nick Ward, because if you, I listened to Tom Izzo's press conference and he talked about how important it is for them to establish Nick Ward and specifically lower on the block. He said one of the problems Ward has been having in these last few games is he's catching the ball too far away from the basket. And so if you know if what Izzo says is, is a key for the game and something that he's been talking about to the team. I would assume they're really going to try and establish Ward down low on the block, and why wouldn't they? It's been such an effective form of offense for them this year. But you look at these last three games. In the Ohio State game, Ward played 26 minutes, scored three points, had only one field goal attempt, and turned it over three times. In the Rutgers game, which they did win, even though Rutgers took him to overtime, he played 34 minutes and scored 17 points, was the best player on the floor for them. And in the Michigan game, again, it was back to, to kind of bad Ward. He played 14 minutes, only had four points, just three field goal attempts, and turned it over three times. So 
obviously Indiana's going to have to play physical with him uh, and, and try as much as they can to not allow him to establish that presence on the block. And this is clearly where not having a big, strong body like Deron Davis uh, is going to hurt. Uh, but then I would assume that they're going to have to be quick with double teams on Ward because, you know, Maybe you start with Juwan Morgan on him, but now you really put Juwan Morgan at risk of getting fouls, and we saw what can happen in that Northwestern game if you don't have Morgan out there. So I even wonder if maybe they put Justin Smith on Ward and then try and double. I mean, what do you do? Or do you put Morgan on him and expect that Juwan is going to be able to play without fouling, which, to his credit, he has shown that he can do plenty this year. Who wants this? Either one of you. I, I think you got to put you got to start Juwan on him. Um, but I do think it's going to be a lot of help. And I think that Justin Smith may be on Jaron Jackson and, and and he helps down uh, and you, you bait Jackson to sort of maybe become a jump shooter. I know he shoots 43 percent from three, but uh, he's a guy who, you know, if you're going to pick your poison with that team, uh, you're going to have it be, you know, probably in that starting lineup have him be the guy that you're going to help off of a little bit uh, and just hope that as a freshman he doesn't you know dominate the game Um, again it's pick your poison it really is because they've they've got so many talented players who are all big who are all strong who can all hurt you in a number of ways Um, so I think that you've got to put your best player who right now is Jawan Morgan, you've got to put him uh, on Nick Ward and and just hope that he stays out of foul trouble. I think that if you get Colin Hartman in the game, then you can maybe rotate him down and move you know Morgan off of Ward to give him a break, put him on Jaron Jackson. Um, and McSwain and sort of, will obviously guard Ward when he's in the game. Yeah, when he's you, in the you game. Expect. Uh, but, you know, it's it, look, it's either way you're going to look at it and say, oh, I don't think they should be doing that. I think they should do it this way. I mean, there are, there are reasons you can go with it anyway. But look, if I'm on the road and I'm 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 going to have any puncher's chance at this, you got to put Morgan in there on Ward because, you know, based on his those comments, that's what they're going to try and do is pound it inside. And, and that's what they should do. That's what I would do against a team that is as height challenged as Indiana. I think you're going to have to see Clifton Moore in the game as well. And, and just using his length and, and trying not to, not to, you know, commit fouls. So um, we'll see. I, but I, I think you, you probably have to roll with your best player on ward. You know, go ahead. I would, I mean, I would go the other way. I, I would, I would let Justin Smith try to guard him. And I think they're definitely going to double. He struggled with that a little bit in the Michigan game. Um, I think if, I think if putting Morgan on him guaranteed that he tried to guard Morgan on the other end, which it doesn't, um, I think if you did that, then you would Which probably is do guarding it. Morgan, I think I, I, well, no, and I think, or Jackson, I think it would be Jaron Jackson would be my guess, but incredible block rate, but I think it, but I think if you could do that, because, you know, if, if you look at two of those three games and, and the Rutgers game is the one I watched the least of, you know, Ohio State had, you know, Caleb Wesson in there who, you know, remind looks like he's Terrence Dials wearing that 34 jersey for Ohio State. Like just, you know, big guy just, you know, can really bang with more probably or with Ward similar to what we would say Deron Davis could have done. But then you had the Michigan game where he really struggled because he couldn't guard anybody and he couldn't guard Wagner on the perimeter and he couldn't handle, you know, the the ball screens that that Michigan State runs. So if you think of it that way, obviously IU falls more in the latter category. And I don't think there's any way that he would really be able to guard Morgan. But again, They'll probably put him on Justin Smith and hopefully oh. Smith's ability to, uh, well, who is he going to guard? If they're smart, they'll put Ward on McRoberts and let McRoberts shoot. Yeah. I think that's what I would do. It's a tricky move because McRoberts isn't a post player, 
you know, a traditional post player. That's how I'd start it though, because he's your weakest defender. You put it on the weakest offensive guy and see what happens. I, you yeah. know, start the game out that way. That that's, would be interesting to see. I'm so I don't know. I mean, I would, I would go a different way. I could certainly see IU put Morgan. I think regardless of who it is, we've seen IU against a lot of opponents really run doubles at post guys yeah. uh, a lot more than I think we've seen in the, in the last few years. So I think that is a given try to get him to force some turnovers out of it. Michigan state has turned the ball over a lot. Uh, over the course of the season, and IU's been pretty good at forcing them in Big Ten play. So I think that is the that's the thing I'm the most sure of as part of this discussion. Anything else is uh, is anybody's guess at this point. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. So uh, let's talk about some other things that all three of these teams, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan, were able to do, which allowed Ohio State and Michigan to get wins against this Michigan State team and Rutgers to go to overtime. Because, again, you know, you talk about all this talent, and you look at Michigan State's roster, and it's overwhelming, and you think – you know, you can talk yourself into how are we going to come within 30 of these guys? And yet they're one and two in their last three games. <laughs> the one win was an overtime win over Rutgers at home. So they are not unbeatable. They are prone to inconsistencies. And obviously you have to hope that they don't play at their best. But some things Indiana can do to really improve their chances. Number one, the Hoosiers are going to have to off a defensive rebound because Michigan State is fourth in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. They're getting about 38% of their misses. But against Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan, they were under 30% in all of those games. So all three of those teams kept them off the offensive glass. And that's a positive for Indiana because going back to the Wisconsin game, the Hoosiers gave up an offensive rebounding percentage of 46.4% to Wisconsin. But then against Minnesota, Penn State, and Northwestern, it was all under 30. And so Indiana's defensive rebounding has been getting a lot better. That's one of the things that they're going to have to do. The other thing that they're going to have to do is they've got to play tough and smart around the rim. And don't get discouraged by getting their shots blocked because it's going to happen. This is something else that Brennan Quinn talked about on Podcast on the Brink. And they can't get discouraged and start settling for threes. All right, If you want to be a little more terrified of Michigan State, they are number one in the country in block percentage. They block 20% of opponent shots, which is crazy. They are number one in the country in two-point field goal defense, holding opponents to 35.5%. And they are number one in the country in effective field goal percentage, allowed 41.1%. Now, Ohio State, Rutgers, Michigan, they all shot much better on twos than what Michigan State has been giving up for the year. So, And, and they didn't start settling for threes. You might think, okay, Ohio State and Michigan, they probably were draining a bunch of threes. Both of those teams took only 15 threes, and they made a high percentage of them. I think uh, Ohio State made seven, Michigan made six. So they made a high percentage of them, but they weren't settling. They kept going inside and not getting discouraged by getting their shots blocked. So for an Indiana team that has gotten a little bit too three-point happy, even in these recent wins, but a team that is in the top 50 in two-point field goal percentage, shooting 53.8%, they can't go away from their strength just because Michigan's state strength is that on defense. So uh, let me kick that to you, Ryan. What is it going to take for Indiana uh, to still be able to go at their strength, focus on getting the ball inside, and not settle for threes, even against a defense like Michigan State's? Well, you're going to have to make shots. You're going to have to make some tough shots to have a chance to win. And, and I know that's very Tom Crean line to say, but it's true. You're going to have to make some tough shots to beat this team. And you're also going to have to finish through contact and get to the free throw line. Um, and, and those are things that, you know, don't often happen against Michigan State. It's a very, very good team. Uh, so I think that, yeah, rebounding is the absolute key. That's number one. Number two, as I said before, 
contested shots. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make them, and you gotta, you gotta cause them when you're on defense. Um, but also, you're gonna have to hit a couple threes to stay in re- stay in range. You're gonna have to. I mean, they did it against Northwestern, but I don't think anybody who has watched this team has a ton of confidence that they're gonna stand out there and bury some threes. But you're on the road; it's a tough environment. You're gonna need some momentum changing shots to go down, and that those tend to happen from the three point line. So. Yeah. I also think that just offensively, you've got to cut really hard. You, you know, I mean, these are basic things, but you've got to cut really hard, get some backdoor baskets, you know, easy things. And then when you do get layups, like I said, you got to make them and you got to make them through contact because there will be contact and there there won't be foul calls with that contact. You know, I mean, you've got to just man up and, and try and make them. And, and, and that's the toughest part of the whole thing. Yeah. I think, you know, from my perspective, one of the things I used on really well lately was, you know, movement off the ball. And I think, you know, that's going to be a big factor in, in being able to do that. That second half against Northwestern zone, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the two to three pass sequences that they were able to string together with, you know, Johnson and Hartman and, uh, and Morgan in there, I think were, were really important. And that's, you know, ultimately why, you know, that, that was one of those that really proves how important Juwan Morgan is. He was really the catalyst for everything that they were running through him, even if he didn't score. Um, so I think they've got to continue to have guys cut. That's really given them a lot of easy baskets, even against teams that block shots. Well, Robert Johnson got a lot of shots going to the basket, uh, in the Minnesota game, obviously didn't have the same shot blockers in there that they've had a lot of the season, but they were able to get good looks going to the rim because of good, you know, good screening and good movement off the ball. So I think that becomes really important in that regard, but yeah, you can't get sucked into a, a three point shooting contest. Even if Michigan state comes out and makes a few, uh, if bridges comes out, shoots a bunch and, uh, you know, makes a couple early. You know, water will find its level there with him, I think, and and I you just can't get, you know, there's not too many scenarios where they're going to win a game that that they shoot a ton of threes. Yeah, and I think the other big key is don't turn it over, and that's obvious when you're on the road. But you know, especially look at these last three games. I mean, Michigan State they don't force a lot of turnovers. In fact, they're 291st in the country. Uh, but even as few as they for as they typically force, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan all turned it over even less than that. Uh, so, I mean, you know, obviously that is one way that you help compensate for the fact that you're probably going to shoot a lower percentage is you just get more possessions and get more shots up. And so Indiana has been better from a turnover perspective. This is going to be a real test against this defense in this environment, uh, if they can keep doing that. So final thoughts here for this segment, fellas. I mean, Ryan, you kind of gave us your, your thoughts. I mean, you're kind of your gut feeling. I mean, as you head into this game, like, do you have at all, like maybe a quiet confidence Indiana is going to keep it closer than the experts think that it's going to be kind of a blowout. Like just what is your gut feeling about how Indiana is going to do Friday night? I, I have a feeling it'll be within reach, uh, certainly for the first half and maybe for the first half of the second half. But I just think that Michigan state size and their, their overall talent level is really going to wear Indiana down. And that's, that's not a knock on Indiana. You're playing on the road at a team who on paper is, the best or second best team in the country, just strictly on paper. I mean, that is technically uh, a knock on Indiana because we're not at that point yet. But well, it's not a knock on them. That's just the that's just reality. I'm not. It I'm is. not. You know. I'm not. I'm not punching them in the nether regions. I'm just saying it's. You know that that's a fact. And uh, I'd say that about pretty much every other team in the country. So you know, there's nothing embarrassing about that. Um, but I think that. Uh, yeah, they just gotta, they gotta, it starts on the defensive end. Everything starts there. They've just got to make life miserable for Michigan state, muck the game up, make it, you know, a slog. And then hopefully hit some shots on the other end and, and keep it close. Cause it's going to, it's going to be a very difficult matchup for Indiana. Andy, are you ready to uh, shift up all of your brackets when the Hoosiers pull the upset? 
that will be uh i would enjoy doing that um but i yeah i, I mean certainly i don't think anybody would would predict it i mean maybe you will i mean you it might not be the craziest thing you've ever predicted but um that would probably be nah. the craziest thing i've ever predicted uh that would be well i don't know uh, some of the some of the at wisconsin prediction really quite really any of those quite frankly probably would would qualify but um now i think I think it'll be interesting to see what IU does early in the game. I mean, it sounds cliche to say, um, but the importance of those first few minutes, a Michigan State team that's um, probably going to be ready to get out and, and play against somebody other than one another after what you know we're all sure has been a, a pretty difficult week of, of practice and things like that should be a pretty rowdy environment on a Friday night. Um, so I think if they can kind of weather the storm, you know, those first few minutes and, and be able to fight back, you know, because they're going to get, they're going to get punched in the mouth at some point during the game. And, and so how do they respond to that? Just kind of keep it close to give themselves a chance down the stretch. I think what they've done defensively uh, bodes well because Michigan State has turned the ball over quite a bit. So turnovers are important not only from IU standpoint, but also, uh, you know, trying to force them from Michigan State. So uh, it'll be it'll be a challenge, but I, I hope they can, you know, I think they could build some confidence by sticking in the game. I know that wasn't what anybody wanted to hear after the Duke game, uh, at least what Archie didn't want to hear, but. Um, I, I think they'll come out and play well. I don't expect them to win, but I don't necessarily expect them to get blown out by 20 either. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm in kind of the same boat. I don't think this will be a total blowout. I do think Michigan State will control the game for, for most of it and certainly in the second half and probably win comfortably, you know, the final five minutes, kind of maybe the inverse of kind of what Michigan did to them. Um, but I think we'll be able to walk away from the game with some positives. Uh, some of the, the performances up at Michigan State in recent years have been total throwaways where you're just like, all right, that was over after 10 minutes and whatever. I don't think this will be that. I think the team has shown us enough uh, to believe that. Um, and anything more than that would obviously be a bonus, and hopefully that's what, what will happen. <laughs> I think we'd all be very happy to, uh, to be wrong about that. So coming up here on the Assembly Call, we're going to talk about the news this week that there may be a change to the transfer rule to make it less restrictive. We'll get into that, give our thoughts on it. That's coming up on the Assembly Call. listening to the assembly call go to assemblycall.com slash join right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get more out of being an iu basketball fan then you need to be on our newsletter list you will get our weekly six banner sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails it is all free and it will make you a smarter iu basketball fan again the url is assemblycall.com slash join I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Guys, news broke this week, and actually this came out, uh, I think, several months ago that they were thinking about this, but there were some more details added to it this week. John Rothstein of FanRag Sports reported that uh, basically they're looking at making the transfer rule less restrictive. Uh, so right now, obviously, if you transfer to another Division One school, you have to sit out a year, obviously, like Josh Newkirk did for Indiana a couple of years ago. And there's been a movement to make that less restrictive. And with whatever happens, it looks like there will be some kind of, of, of restrictions on it. You know, there may be some kind of GPA requirement. There'll probably be a small window, you know, a window of time during which time players can transfer. So it won't just be this open free-for-all that I think some people are thinking um, and that's making some of the reactions on Twitter just crazy where people ta are talking about this is going to, you know, ruin college basketball and change the game forever. I want to get your, your thoughts on whether you agree with this in general or not without knowing what the full details will be because I very strongly do. Uh, I think it's kind of absurd that players 
have to sit out that year after transferring. I mean, if they get themselves into a situation that is not right for them and they want to move to a new situation, why should they have to sit out that year? And I'm, I don't say this because I think that transferring is always good. In fact, I think a lot of times it's probably not the right decision, but there are some times when it is. And I don't feel like it is fair to penalize those guys for whom transferring is the right decision and make them sit out a year, especially when other students don't need to wait a year to participate in extracurricular activities when they transfer. And coaches and assistant coaches can move obviously freely and be coaching the next season without having to sit out. And so I think you have... Obviously, there will be a lot of collateral damage to a decision like this. It'll make life tougher on coaches. Uh, you know, mid-majors will probably have guys poached by bigger schools, on and on and on. And, you know, I don't think that necessarily all of those things are going to be good, but why should the athletes have to be the one who pay the price and have to sit out the year for all of these other externalities? So I just think that the athlete's interest in this case should be the one that's placed first and let the other stuff fall where it may. Um, and we could have a much longer discussion about this, but that's kind of my quick hit thoughts on it. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts on this idea for a rule change? Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I think, you know, some of the, the different parameters that have been thrown out, thrown around, I think, protect against some of the concerns that people have. But ultimately, you know, what I don't like is the the, the notion that, well, we're protecting these players from themselves because we, you know, so that they don't just, you know, willy nilly transfer like you don't, you know, in the end. This is all a business. If, if any of these people really cared about the players, you wouldn't have these scenarios where you've got a team playing three games in six days. And what does that mean from a classwork standpoint and all that stuff? It's like, that's obviously not really the focus. So it's easy to say, uh, you know, oh, this is my concern, but that's ultimately kind of self-serving for, for most of the folks in the positions of power as part of this discussion. So I guess that's my big thing. I mean, people are going to make mistakes. They're going to make, you know, transfers will happen where somebody regrets it, but that happens today. Um, and, and that doesn't, you know, is that any less likely to happen when you don't have to sit out of here? I, you know, I guess I'm not really sure if I'm going to make a bad decision and decide I'm fed up. Is that really, I just don't know that that decision changes a whole lot. And obviously if people are, you know, doing that right up before the season or doing it three or four times and yeah, that becomes problematic. But I think those are the things that they can control in some of those variables. And, and remember being pro a less restrictive transfer rule doesn't mean that you are pro transfer it doesn't mean that you think everybody should transfer at the first sign of trouble they are two totally different things it just means that you believe the guy should have the option to do so without having to sit out a year based you know given the parameters of whatever the rule ends up being i just want to clarify that because people mistake that sometimes yeah what i would say is one of the issues here is okay if you can transfer at any time and play the next year um, are we still going to force schools to honor four-year scholarships, or is it just a one a year-to-year thing, and a kid can basically open up and be recruited by other schools? Will schools have to recruit their own players back? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm loath to be on the school side of things and the NCAA side of things, but um, you know, I mean, you could create essentially free agency every year, and I think that if you're creating that kind of free agency that's inevitably going to lead to people getting paid. It's going to lead to the dark side of college basketball being even more prevalent. Um, so I think there need to be some pretty specific parameters on it. You know, it's you going to lead to athletes to... making their market value is what it's going to lead to. It's just going to happen under the table. I, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's the problem. And I don't think you can do that and, and feel good about it. I think that it has to be out in the open. And I, I've, I've been pro giving the kids money for a long time. I think the transfer rule is interesting, though. I think that, you know, l- let's say this. Let's say you decide to transfer in December. Like, you know, early on, like you don't play the full season. You decide to transfer in December. 
you should be eligible to play at the beginning of the next season. I, I definitely believe in that. Um, but if you're just at the end of your year and you decide, well, my team's not going to be as good as next year. A lot of guys have jumped to the pros. You know, maybe I'll just leave. You know, you could be a starter and go from, you know, Davidson to Duke like like Seth Curry did and play immediately. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's the right way to do things that, yeah, well, my team's not going to be competitive next year. I played a lot this year. Let me go play somewhere else. I'll go to a rival. How about I'll go to a rival? You know, like who's going to have a loaded team back next year. I'm just going to go like, you know, I don't necessarily like that as a fan, but should a player be restricted because it messes with what, you know, like the the entertainment value we get from the game. What you're saying is I think from a moral perspective, if you look at it in a vacuum, I think you're right that the kid uh, the kids should be able to um, should be able to play immediately and all that stuff. I think everybody would be like, yeah, that make that kind of makes sense. But then when you look at the unintended consequences of doing that, the long-term unintended consequences, there are issues that yeah. would arise that might, you know, make it really negative. And, and I think that it's sort of, you know, everybody is for free speech like that. That's it. And so you think, Oh yeah, unfettered free speech for everything. Sure. But then with that, you get, you know, people being threatened you get you know yelling fire in a crowded theater you've got to put restrictions on some things even though they're yes. a good and idea. there should be parameters here there should be restrictions. I, I agree, it shouldn't be a free-for-all know, I, I think we need to know what those parameters are as you said i think it's hard to, hard to judge it right now because we don't know what the rule will be um but I, except I, that I there do, are some people who think that it shouldn't happen no matter what like that's the thing they don't think under any circumstances players should be able to transfer without having to sit out that year Right, and well, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not in that camp. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think, yeah, there need to be some parameters in there if you can make them. And if you can't make them, you got to kind of keep it the same. If you can't put parameters on it that don't essentially turn it into free agency in college basketball, then you know, like maybe you can transfer after your sophomore year, or you can, you know, I mean, like there's some kind of, you know, a, a, a things in there where guys don't just go. Okay, yeah, no, I'm just going to go. No, I, it, there, there's a certain level, though. There's a certain level of assumption here that these kids are just, you know, immoral jerks who don't care about anything other than I'm not saying that you're saying that. I mean, clearly you are, right. but I'm not saying. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but I, but point, I think that's I, like, you know, it, it, it implies that the kid can't make the kid who at that point is, is an adult on on some level. Like, yeah, stop make calling a decision kids. that is so selfish that. Really? They yes. No really? One, they, yes. They take no one else's thoughts into kids. account, and oh, so I geez. think that seems to be like the working assumption of like, oh, I'm going to go and stick it to somebody, or I'm going to leave because I mean, we see people, you know, we see Miles Bridges come back this year as, as an example, and by the same token, you see guys make terrible decisions to go to the NBA. I, so you're not pre- able to prevent either of, of those things. So I think sure. I think that's the part that's hard is it's like, well, let's let's attempt to give these guys some credit. Let's put parameters around it. And if it doesn't work, then try to fix the parameters or whatever else. But there's a lot of other things to me that are more harmful to the quote unquote student athletes than than this would be that don't get addressed. And and yet this is the hill that everybody wants that that coaches want to die on because they're the ones who are ultimately most impacted by it. Yeah, and, no, just, and I, I agree with you on that. I, I completely agree with you on that. I think the kids should be able to make their own choices. And yes, they are kids. I'm sorry. Nowadays, this isn't 1950. At 18, you're not They're not kids. They're young adults, if you want to call them that, but they're not kids. I think a young adult is a kid. I was but a kid. Those are two different things. I'm just saying they deserve more respect than just thinking they're a kid. Because everybody says, these kids are just going to transfer at the first sign of trouble, and they paint everybody with a broad that? brush. No, I I'm saying, no, no, not you. 
But these are the arguments that I've been getting all day long. And what I'm saying is I think we deserve to give these young adults a little bit more credit. And if you want to give them maybe more education about why they shouldn't transfer, fine. Make that part of it. But I just think, like Andy said, I just think these guys get discussed as if they are just going to blow with the wind and can't make decisions on their own and shouldn't have the ability to do it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but you're, what you're doing is you're taking the hardline position of somebody and making that the argument you're arguing against when I would guarantee you that most people's opinions on this are pretty nuanced and in the middle. And Not are the sort coaches. Of <laughs> These are the well, arguments that, that coaches are making. Of course the coaches are going to make that argument. They're the ones who recruit these kids and spend all these hours, you know, bringing them into campus. They're not the ones we judge this. I want I want to know, you know, experts' opinions. That's the people I want to talk to. I don't think the coaches the coaches are an interested party. You can't listen to them and think, "Oh, well that that's that's the other argument." I don't think that's fair. I think you have to listen to people who have studied this. Well, you have, you have people like Evan Daniels who says there's you can't change my mind on this. He is dead set that the transfer rule shouldn't change and you can't change my mind on this. Even if you present evidence, I guess you can't. That's what I'm saying, though. There are these hardliners out there and they frame it as if these quote unquote kids just aren't capable of making this decision. And me, I think let me that's get on wrong. To this kids thing real quick, because like, you seem to be really dying on that hill. When somebody <laughs> is 17, they're in high school, they're a kid. When they turn the day they turn 18, they don't all of a sudden become way more mature. Okay, but they're but, still kids. Listen to me. They're still kids. Who, okay. Like when Look, you the 18, word 19, is not as important as how you treat somebody and, and understanding that a lot of times people will rise to the level of your expectation. So if we think of them as kids and think that they're not capable of making these decisions, I just think that that is doing them a disservice and not what should be done in an educational setting is what I'm saying. Well, I never said they, were, they weren't capable of making that decision they obviously are okay let's not get uh, caught up in the semantics that's the idea okay. that i'm trying to get okay. across well don't yell at me about saying they're kids i think they're kids <laughs> that's why you know i think a young adult is still a kid to me i, I think until until you're out of college you're pretty much still a kid i mean i i've been on a college campus i know the i know the maturity level these days but I, we're gonna have I to wrap say, this up sooner we're not gonna have a fourth segment <laughs> i know what i will say is that i think that we have to know the details before you can really judge this plan yes i agree uh, we have to know we have to know what the actual text of the rule is going to say and it has to be there to protect you know everybody involved i think including the kids and, and it has to be in their best interest i agree but i think that in some ways their best interest would not necessarily be unfettered you know just open yeah. the floodgates i think there have to be some rules in there. i agree and i think it needs to be a compromise so i don't want my position to be misstated because what is in the best interest of the athlete is also in part what's in the best interest of the sport so you do have to make a compromise that that doesn't just totally kill the sport and i just happen to think that people are overblowing how much of a negative impact this would be okay we got to get out of here quickly <laughs> when we come back with our final few minutes we got a bunch of questions that you all send us we will get through as many as we can uh, or maybe ryan and i will just fight more about whether college athletes or young adults or kids that's coming up i'm up for that <laughs> you're listening to the assembly call i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips wrapping up another week of talking iu basketball obviously that last segment went a little bit long so we don't have as much time as we normally do to get to questions so we're just going to have time to hit up a couple uh, although on our YouTube broadcast, we'll uh, answer the other ones. You can always go check out the archived YouTube video and find those. Guys, I did tease the question about where will Romeo go. Someone said brass tacks. Where do you think he ends up? Um, I, I will just say, to me, it seems right now like all three of his final candidates are equal. 
So given the fact that Indiana is only 33% of that, it would seem to me more likely that he ends up at Kansas or Vanderbilt, but I have no strong feeling other, you know, either way, no inside information, obviously. Do you guys have strong feelings about Romeo or do you just want to pass on that? I think he stays home. I think he goes to Indiana. I will answer what I want him to do, which is go to Indiana. I don't really know. I mean, Vanderbilt has not played all that well this year at all. They do have some recruits going in, but, um, you know, I think people express concern about IU in that regard with how they got started. I think you'd have to express similar concerns with Vanderbilt. So even though some of the chatters there, uh, I hold out hope that it'll come to IU. Yeah, I certainly hold out hope. And again, like I said, in the banner moment, I think him coming Sunday was a good sign. Uh, love this question from our buddy, Chris, who runs the IU artifacts account. Uh, your favorite IU Juco of all time. I mean, I think the, the clear answer here, Andy, is got to be Keith Smart. I would, I would think Keith I mean, Smart or Dean Garrett. Really, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, those guys. I mean, we kind of threw out like you know William Gladness was one who uh, I think as we looked had you know maybe better stats than we thought and, and things like that. But I think I Smart one. feels like the feels like the one from a memory perspective. And, it, and if anyone says Devin Dumas, then we we we're just gonna have to shut this down. Any love for Freddie? No, no, he hasn't done enough in his career. No, I, mean, I, I like Freddie, but uh, uh, my favorite came from Georgia Perimeter College. Can anybody name him? Georgia Perimeter College. <laughs> See, w- no, let I me don't. let me guess. Did he play with Marco Killingsworth? He did. <laughs> Shocking. <Was> it... yeah. <laughs> Earl Calloway, a Bulgarian. Ah. Uh, I just yeah. liked Earl personally. I really liked him. So he went no. to New Mexico. Then Georgia Perimeter College, and then Indiana in 2005. He is now playing in the Turkish League. It was an honorable mention All Big Ten in 2007. Uh, has played in Croatia. He's played in you know, pretty much everywhere in Europe. Yeah, and he also played. He did have some moments. Was Gitmark Michel? Was he a JUCO? Or was I don't not? believe so. Was, no. Harris Harris Muyezinovich was though, and he was awesome. I feel like Gimark Michelle was maybe a he was, I don't know, maybe he, was he never played for Indiana. Oh, Gimark well, Michelle, yes, that's true. All right. uh, yes, but I mean, clearly we have ten his, seconds his, left. Okay, that's yeah. We can't waste on Earl Calloway. <laughs> no, Keith Smart is the correct answer, but Earl Calloway is a fine honorable mention, so that'll work. Okay, we gotta go. Uh, that'll hey, do so I know usually for these assembly call radio broadcasts, we end the podcast where the radio show recording actually ends. But when we record these live on YouTube, a lot of times we you know go on for a little while after, and there's obviously always banter in between the segments. And so that's one reason why subscribing to us on YouTube uh, is good if you want to get, I guess, the full assembly call experience because there is content there on those archived YouTube videos or when you watch live that we don't normally put on the podcast. But <laughs> last night we lingered for a good 25 minutes, 30 minutes after the actual recording was done. I remarked to Andy afterwards. It was a real smart way to begin our 12 uh, live shows and 23-day stretch by going for a half hour longer than usual uh, for the first one, really pacing ourselves well. Uh, but I don't know. I thought a lot of it was pretty entertaining content. Um, but it was basically just answering a lot of the Twitter questions and Slack questions that we had gotten. So I know some of you who listen on the podcast, uh, you know, submit those questions and are waiting to hear those answers. So I wanted you to get a chance to hear those answers. So what you hear now is the content that uh, came while we were live on YouTube, but after we had finished the recording for the radio show and the podcast episode. So I will play all of that now. Uh, and just know that if you want to get this content regularly, I won't always put it on the podcast, but it'll always be there on the archived YouTube versions and when you watch live. So without further ado, here's everything that we talked about after Beautiful. segment talked four. Talked about Earl Calloway ended. for a minute and never mentioned his mustache. We missed, we mm. missed, missed the chance to throw in Tijon. And I did like Ryan, though, reading us a, a brief brief history of what Earl Cow has been up to since he was at IU. Yeah. That's all I, I have. Did, I, did, 
I did not expect that segment to go there, but this is, <laughs> this is what happens. He's, he, he's a natural time, Earl enjoys natural... reading bike riding. Um, <laughs> all right, so he's here, a naturalized Bulgarian citizen now. Wow. I don't know why, but maybe just to get a European passport. I don't know. All right, so there's a few other questions. I want to at least hit these. Ryan, you can you answer save, one. You want to save them for next week? week? No, because, I mean, some of them I guess we can, but, I mean, like right. Mike asked, which new Kirk do we think will show up? He's been really good the last two games. It's he's going to have a tough time dealing with the physicality of those guards, but um, I think you see a lot of effort out of him. I don't know if he's going to make shots. But I, I think Winston, it, it, we, effort Winston has been is cons- a smart, smart player, but he's not uber athletic. Like he's not going to overwhelm him with athleticism. So I think that helps. Yeah. Hopefully, Josh can just cut down the turnovers, and I think he will need to make a few open threes. So if he can hit those, that'd be huge. All right, Andy, here. Uh, I'd also like, just to, and not to give Ryan too much credit, but Ryan talked about how good Newkirk's Newkirk shot looked from the, the top of the key and like almost right away in the Northwestern game. That's exactly where he hit one from. So from straight on, he's he's money. From everywhere else, it's like, I think Ooh. if yeah. I think if IU could construct a scenario where they have Newkirk at the top of the key, Rojo on the wing, and Hartman in the corner, it feels like they could, you know, really improve their three-point percentages because those guys all kind of have like a defined a spot. spot. Yeah, they do. It's like the old, the old uh, NBA jam thing where you had like a, a heat zone <laughs> on the court. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Um, okay, at the end of the year, this is from Jordan. At the end of the year, what would constitute a successful season short of pulling off an NCAA bid? Obviously adjusting expectations from preseason to midseason. 11-7, 12-6 in the Big Ten would be huge. Best case scenario, but I'd say 11-7. would be good. That's... That would constitute successful. I mean, even if they go nine and nine, I mean eight and ten. Do you think they can be successful? Depending on it depends how those on games who they beat. Go? It depends on who they beat and are they getting better. I mean, I don't think it's just the record. I think it's also how they look. Are they getting better? Are the you know younger guys who are going to be back improving, or are they you know is it just kind of a blah finish where you kind of back into it? Um, I, I so, think I think nit is now the definition of successful. I mean, I think you got to at least make the NIT at this point because if you don't make oh, the well, NIT, that means you, you really finish. The NIT, but I don't know if that's six, considered six, being successful. I think that I think it would be now, given where things were. But ultimately, that's what probably finishing eleven seven in the Big Ten would get you. So yeah, I mean, it's but, it's kind of a. Know, it, I don't know. I think you know a lot of times the teams NIT is not viewed as, and I don't know that this team would be excited to play there. But I think you can also use it to, of course, uh, you know, get extra springboard time, springboard into yeah. something. And I think you could frame it up in a way, maybe not for the, and maybe even for the seniors. I think you could frame it up in a way, even to the team that, you know, this is a good opportunity to really kind of build the momentum that they, they've, you know, hopefully will continue over the over the remainder of the season, um, as opposed to, you know, last year where it was like, well, this is, you know, this is terrible. This is a huge disappointment, and let's just shut this thing. It'd out. be another great opportunity to play a home game on the road. That's for sure. So you always love that. Um, <laughs> Who would Chad- ever agree to that? Chad in the chat says, tonight during After Dark, Jared and Ryan will fight it out in a baby pool of Upland. And then the next comment is, while Andy plays with a voodoo Vikings doll. <laughs> True. Um, okay. Let's... If I was Andy, I would have been really excited about the finish of that game, though. I, I would have rather faced Minnesota than uh, than the Saints. I think the Saints was, are. Uh, I, wrestled, I, Saints... I wrestled with that. I wrestled with that decision as, we, as, as it went down. I've been trying to talk myself into either one. The, the Saints, my only thought was that you get them out of the dome and, and you know, maybe they have a defense that Nick Foles could do something against versus this game is assuredly going to be a defensive slugfest. And you just hope that you're a defense, you know, one of the case Keenum, 
throws off his back foot will find its way into the the waiting arms of of Michael Jenkins or of Malcolm Jenkins. Um, okay. Uh, this is from JD. I think when we talk about next year's Hoosiers, the recruiting class, Fennessey, Demise, Jerome, Jake, and potentially Romeo, it's usually the hot topic. However, I think the addition of Race Thompson is going to be a huge piece. Can you talk about Race, his game, and the redshirt benefit? Um, obviously, none of us have seen Race play, so it's hard to really give insight. Everything you hear has been positive. But I feel like every tr- every guy who's redshirting, like Newkirk, all you heard were like these positive reviews that he was just dominating practices. So it's tough to really know what you're really getting there but based on the Especially player he was in high school and what he needed to improve which was you know his body and his conditioning and his athleticism you certainly expect that he'll have improved some of that and he'll have had a year in the system obviously to learn the defense so i think it's going to be really big and i think he's going to guy who's going to be a guy who's going to play minutes you know be a rotation piece at a minimum next year and possibly more so i'm really optimistic about him and it, it's one of those kind of fun things he doesn't often get talked about we forget about him because he's a redshirt and then it's like he's going to be there next year, and you're like, "Well, where'd this guy come from?" Oh yeah, we have another four star ready to play. So uh, it's kind of exciting from that standpoint. Yeah, I think that um, his uh, one of the things about those guys is why they dominate in practice. Red shirts, and you mentioned this is they don't have to play in games, so they're well rested. You know, I mean, like so practice is their game. That's what they get up for. Um, and, you know, and so and sometimes they don't even travel with the team, so they don't have to deal with that either. Um, it depends on the guy, it depends on the year, but and the coach. Um, but I would also say about race, I think that his upside to me looks like Juwan Morgan's did coming out of high school. I think that he's a guy who's got size, he's got length, he can play on the inside, but he Is also he that has skilled offensively. I yeah, I, I think he can right. be. I don't I don't think it. You know, it's and, and Juwan wasn't that skilled coming out but you saw the potential he wasn't a finished product he wasn't og raw and he wasn't victor oladipo raw but he wasn't what he is now and his ability to finish around the rim and all that stuff i think race can finish around the rim right now but he's got to develop a jumper and look i mean juan still struggles with his jumper at this point but um i think that is his upside offensively as a guy like that i mean he could certainly step out on the perimeter he has a good release on his shot um but the one thing he's missing for me is that he fades back a lot on his shot. And again, a high school player who doesn't have a perfect shot is pretty much the norm. Um, so I think that there's things to to improve there, and I'm sure they've got him working on that. But um, yeah, I think he's a, he's a very talented guy. I like him a lot as uh, as the uh, um, you know as 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 a guy coming in next year to compete for minutes, and we'll need him because he's got some size and some length. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's you know they're certainly going to lose lose things in the front court with Colin Juwan, Freddie all or not Juwan. Well, maybe according well, to my well, that that's the next um, question is who do we think will be here next year? Well, yeah, but uh, so anyway, so, so let's merge those together if you want to. But you lose but you lose a little bit of uh you know, you lose certainly lose some front court depth and I think the reasons that we have all said that maybe Justin Smith and Clifton Moore haven't been playing uh as much as maybe people would like expect want whatever you want to say is adjustment to the physicality of the game and understanding where they need to be defensively. And I think he is able to, you know, get some of that under his belt this year. So I think that's, it's, it's certainly a positive in my eyes. So there is no reason for Juwan not to test the waters and put his name in. So right. I think we all well, agree absolutely. that'll happen. What, I mean, Ryan, you were kind of the, the first one to say that this was a possibility. You know, he's not showing up on any top 100 lists. I always look to just see if he's even entering the radar screen of draft analysts. He really isn't yet. But that doesn't but mean he's not on the radar. Screen. Yeah, I mean that doesn't mean if he keeps playing well or you know shoots threes well down the stretch that he couldn't get there. I mean, do you at this point do you think there's a legitimate shot of him actually going? Um, um, you- I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. Uh, I think that if you look at the way he's improved, 
um, you would say that maybe another year would really help. Um, but if you really truly look at it, he's going to have to have a big performance against a big opponent to get on radar screens. I mean, it, like you Friday know, night. Yeah. And uh, OG Ananobi didn't really blow up on draft boards until he showed up against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament and was all over the place. I mean, that's when people were like, oh, wow, this guy could be a lottery pick, you know? And before that, I think that we saw elements of that. But, I mean, there were people who thought he should leave after his freshman year because of that one performance. So he's going to have to have a big performance against a guy, scouts, or a team, a guy or a team that scouts are watching. Um, or he's going to have to go to the combine and show up. And you can go to the combine now and pull yourself pull yourself out. So if he gets a combine invite, and goes and you know balls out in those scrimmages um then yeah i think that he'll get on some lists but i mean he's certainly looking at being a second round pick but these days the second round pick isn't a death sentence you know to your career like it used to be now you can go to the g league you can have a two-way contract where you go up and down and we've seen troy williams um we've seen yogi farrell we've seen those guys you know work a g league contract into a full-time playing career so uh it can happen and and certainly i think thomas bryant is on that path as well the lakers love him and he's been dominating uh in the g league for them so um certainly that possibility exists um i'm not sure right now that he's drafted but uh i I don't know it depends you know how does he fit into the roster how does he feel about his first year under archie all that stuff there's gonna be so many factors that go into it i guess my thought on that is i still have a hard time thinking it'll happen but i hope it does because if he does go then that means he probably did blow up he probably got some good feedback and that'd be awesome for him and obviously that's his goal and i love it when guys can get there you know a a year prior than maybe they think they can so it would be you know tough for the team and he'd be a huge loss for last year but i think it would be fantastic if it happened so we will see uh, if the season were to end today, other than the current seniors, who do you expect to not be on the team? That really would require us to speculate on transfers. Um, we don't, do and we don't want to do that because, I mean, it's all speculation. And we just, I mean, you know, Juwan's a different story. That's an NBA decision. So that's, there's, you know, you can actually see things on the court and try and project it. But speculating on transfers doesn't really do anybody any good. This question was interesting from Jeremy. I'd like to hear thoughts on attendance for home games this year. It seems down. Is it an issue across the entire landscape of college basketball, or is it an IU thing? So I can talk real quick about the reasons why IU's attendance might be a little bit down. I'll be interested to see what people say in the chat. Do either of you guys know if it is a college basketball-wide thing? Are there any trends here? I think it's a sports-wide thing. I I think that more people are deciding to save money and stay home and... You know, every game is televised. You know, it's not and like broadcast post game shows afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just say that I think that sports wide, whether it's NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, everything, you're seeing lower home attendance, um, especially for the Chargers. Um, but it's. Bam. Uh, <laughs> I um, but I, I think that uh, you're seeing lower home attendance because, again, it's expensive to go to games. You got to drive, you got to park, you got to, you know, if you got families, sometimes the games start later than they used to, all that stuff because of television rights. And then, you know, again, everything's on television. You have, uh, you know, a 50 inch TV in your room with the best view it, that you're going to get and it's free, uh, you know, or the, whatever the price of cable is. So I, I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, I think maybe also we'll we just have seen a reversal of priorities where that's not something that's a priority for a lot of people is spending money on sports as cost of living has gone up everywhere. So I think that you'll get a switch and it'll and it'll go back to 
you know, higher attendance stuff. But again, I mean, you've also got to create a situation on campus where you make sure all the students are showing up. And yeah. I, mean, I think that's on Indiana. That's not on the fans. That's on Indiana. And it's not necessarily on the team. I think it's on the people at the school punishing people. If Look, if you're not, if you bought season tickets and you're not showing up to games and there are people who don't get season tickets, you know, you should be dropped off the list for the next year. If you can't, if you know, if you bought Absolutely. season tickets and you're not going, then you should be taken off the list. I, I think that, um, you know, and they can check who's there and who's not by when they scan your ticket, you know, and if you're a student and you bought tickets and you're not going, don't buy tickets. You know, and and uh, they're still selling all of them. It's just a matter of people showing up and going. And I don't care if you got about kids. Yeah, they're kids, not young adults. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it, but I would say that also, you know, if you got balcony seats, I know it sucks. We all had to sit through balcony games. It it sucked, but we went and we were yeah. loud. And and you know what? Uh, assembly call uh, assembly hall is a much nicer experience than it was when I went there. Now, uh, you know, so. I don't care. Go and show up and be loud and do it every week. I still remember Chad Austin beating Indiana on a last second shot watching from the balcony. I watched. Uh, I know I watched exactly the- what you're talking about. I had a perfect. I was in the main level, but I had the perfect view to see the shot where it was going to go in when he took it from the side. I was like that freaking guy. I saw. Well, this really uh, took a negative turn. That was- <laughs> I, I saw George Lee. I saw George Leach. Let's talk about foul. Earl Calloway again. I, I saw George Leach foul. Uh, foul. Um, who was it? Uh, was it Chris Humphreys. Uh, Humphreys, ninety-six feet from the basket, and lose a game from the last seat. This the is court. the stuff that I remember. It sticks with you. you can't. By the way, I'm six-three. We've talked about this with my height before. I'm six-three, so going into the top row of the balcony, I mean, I looked like Lurch because it was like five. It's like it's built for someone who's like five-six, and I was legitimately in the last seat in the corner. My buddy and I had the seat next to the last seat and the last seat in the back corner of the last row of the balcony. And I sat through that damn game. I couldn't stand up once because of it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of people you know that some years later, you'd be sitting courtside for the Marco Killingsworth dunk. Oh, man. Greatest, mean, greatest, it's only you knew that. Tell us that story sometime. Okay, um, I will tell you that. that. I'll tell you that was a great sports moment. Another great sports moment was in the playoffs, watching Trevor Hoffman come out to Hell's Bells in a playoff game at a packed then Qualcomm Stadium with like 80,000 of my closest friends screaming as hell's bells played in the background. Oh, that was amazing. Unbelievable. Greatest sports moment. Oh, there's um, one. Back, back to Indiana basketball. Sorry. Um, a, lo- a lot of people echoing what you're saying about students um, and that, you know, student attendance being down is a big reason why. And so I agree with everything that you just said. Um, and I, I, I do think it's incumbent upon, you know, the university and, and marketing department, everybody on campus to get people excited. But I think, you know, some of the reasons, you know, why that may be is obviously the team was bad last season. So that, you know, kills a little bit of your momentum. The, the game times suck, too. I mean, you know, the game times it, haven't been great. If this is a home game, if, if tomorrow was a home game on a Friday at seven, nobody would be going because people go home on weekends. People go back up to Indy. There's traffic like, I mean, you know, the, I don't like what the what the Big Ten is doing with scheduling. I think that's pretty clear. I think it's hurt. It's hurting the product inside I the arena. Agree. Agree. Yes. It definitely is. Um, you know, I also think the Indiana State and Fort Wayne games killed some excitement. You know, it killed some momentum. Um, and, you know, look, so far outside of the Duke game, there just haven't been that many big draws to get people really, really excited. And if the team itself isn't that great or, you know, a top 25 team, all that contributes to it. So I think everything that we just said contributes to it. And all it will take is Indiana, 
you know, getting Romeo Langford or getting back in the top 25, winning consistently. And I think you'll see that excitement get back. It's just maybe been a little bit slower than we all thought for Archie's first season. Well, and I think you, if you probably figure, you know, I mean, students that are in college now, I probably don't want to think about the year in which they would be, they would be born. Um, but I mean, has IU really been very good in their lifetime versus Tom Crean won two big 10 titles in four years. Well, that's, I've heard that. that. I've heard that. I wish, I wish that got more attention. Um, uh-huh. but just in terms of like, you know, it, it, it was unfathomable to me when I was there to, to, you know, to miss those, but I also, you know, grew up with some of the, you know, the, the greatest teams that have, um, you know, that have, that have been there, you know, outside of the teams in the mid seventies, you know, watching some of those teams that, you know, that I kind of grew up on, like, but I don't know that I would argue that many students now haven't had that same experience either. It isn't a big yeah. deal or, or for whatever else. So I think that also contributes to it, but I would agree that if you're going to get the tickets and you might as well go, but, um, I think there's probably a lot of, I mean, I think all the things you said, Jared, are true. I think, Ryan, what you said about sports in general is is probably accurate. And, Not even you might as well go. There should be some legitimate pressure for you to go. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, it should be more than that. I mean, um, honestly. Yeah. I like Ryan's kid, idea of punishing people that don't go. I mean, public shaming, whatever. It's all, oh, yeah. I mean, they should be, you know, run out of the town on a rail if you're not going to, you know. And if you guys are history buffs and know what run out, running out of town, being run out of town on a rail is, you you really like that visual. Um, anyway, it, it's no, I, I think that it's you do have to have to have some kind of punishment. I mean, if you're a student and you can't go, like, if you say, "Look, I'm on the season ticket list, but I've got class this year, so I'll surrender these as long as I can stay on the list for next year or something," it's something like that. I've got like night classes and I can't go. You know, that's understandable. But I mean, if you're just buying the tickets. And then you're not going. That's just stupid, and it's 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 pointless. And look, you're clearly going to fail as an adult because you don't understand economics. So uh, you shouldn't buy something you're not going to use. You're just going to add to the to to this country's problems. Uh, yeah, and, no, it, but, and it and actually hurts the team. It hurts your school because in college basketball, like the arena, the fans make a difference. I mean, it yeah. really does. So especially in an arena like Assembly Hall that is like a mausoleum when it's quiet, and, and when it's loud, it's amazing. But the way that arena's designed is when it's when it's quiet it is you know almost a it's it's almost a detriment to the team you know because of how quiet it gets look i understand assembly assembly hall i have said many times i think they need a new arena i think that the balcony is ridiculous i think that it's it, it ruins the game for a lot of people i don't think it's a great place to watch a basketball game as far as actually watching the game goes i think that the the atmosphere is great but i think the atmosphere is created by the fans not the arena um so i've said many times i think that they need a new arena with better sight lines and all that stuff clearly they don't listen to what i say because they just spent a lot of money renovating uh what i think is a you know an old building that, that needs a replacement and i think that if other schools at our level um are getting new new buildings. I don't understand why Indiana can't do one, but um, I, I get it. It's not perfect, but it's all you've got. Uh, you know, it's all we've got, and it's the arena that we have to live and deal with. And it's the only place you get to go to see Indiana games. And if you're a, a student who's there for four years, that's only four years you're you're going to get tickets. So uh, it's an it's a limited number of games that you have a chance to go see them play. Yeah, I don't think we'll be talking about this in two years. I think we'll be back winning, and I think the things will be packed again because the excitement will be there. So we'll still be talking about. A, I'll still be talking about wanting to replace uh, assembly. But you've been talking about that since we and started I'm the right. show. I'm sorry, I'm right. And you can't be convinced otherwise. 
No, absolutely not. Dude, if Maryland and Michigan State and schools like that can get new arenas within the last however long, um, you know, there's no reason that Indiana can't and, and shouldn't. And and those arenas are built. Too much stuff getting in the way of your spring cleaning? Give yourself a little more elbow room with a storage unit from 5A Rent-A-Space. We're offering 50% off of select spaces for six months with locations in Moraga and Foster City. Call 650-338-0016 or visit 5aspace.com today. Mexico is more than a country. It's a feeling. Wherever you feel Mexican, there is Mexico. Let's celebrate it. Tecate. Mexico is in us. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool. ...or attending one live... You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply.